Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Rico Bronia winter meeting style. How are we all doing? Evan Roberts, the great Pete Hoffman, the Rico Bronia podcast. So a couple of things. The New York Yankees made a trade for Alex Verdugo. Why do I bring that up? Why do you care? Apparently, the Mets were interested in Alex Verdugo as well. And if the Mets had traded for Alex Verdugo, if they had given up a similar package to what the Yankees gave up, let's say a reliever, a 12th or 13th ranked prospect, and another guy who was recently drafted for Verdugo, who I think is a very, very average player, He's a good defensive player. I'll give him that. He was a finalist for the gold glove in right field. Left-handed bat. His splits are predictable, as you'd expect. My reaction would have been, blah. It would have been, sure, that's a major league everyday outfielder. Okay. They need that. David Stearns has made that clear over the last few days. But that would have been a very blah acquisition. Is that the kind of move they're going to end up making in the outfield? Similar to that, maybe. I mean, maybe we're going to go blah for whoever they pick up in the outfield. But I don't feel as if the Mets missed out on some gem. And I think Verdugo is a very average player. Not a lot of pop. He doesn't strike out a lot. He walks an average amount of time. He's a 265, 270 hitter, a 740 OPS kind of guy. He is a free agent at the end of the year, so maybe you hold out hope. If you're a Yankee fan or prior to this, a Red Sox fan, or if it was us trading for him, a Met fan, that he would have some kind of big contract season. But Alex Verdugo is a very average, blah, underwhelming player. So I do not come away with the news that Verdugo was traded to the Yankees and the Mets were one of the three or four teams interested as thinking, oh, geez, we missed out. I don't get that feeling. But the Mets need to add an outfielder. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. You know, I listened a lot to David Stearns over the last two days at the winter meetings to see if I could glean anything from what he was saying. You know, can I pick up on, is he giving us signs? Is he trying to tell us something? And I thought he told us a couple of things. Number one, they're going to add an outfielder. 
Now, he didn't tell us if it's a defensive first outfielder, if it's an offensive first outfielder, if it's a star caliber outfielder, if it's a borderline starting outfielder, if it's just a guy who can play the outfield. And the Mets have been linked to numerous guys who fit kind of different levels of this. I mean, one thing about Verdugo is his blah of a player as he is, he is certainly an everyday major league baseball player. He's an everyday outfielder. Another guy they've been linked to is Michael Taylor. Now, you go get Michael Taylor and you treat him the way he should be treated, which is he's a fourth outfielder. He's an, a better version of Tim LaCastro. Then I'm good with it. Then I got no problem with it. But if you treat Michael Taylor as a guy that has to play four or five days a week, I'm not in love with it. And right now, when you look at the depth of this roster, they need an outfielder that plays four or five days a week. So I wouldn't have celebrated acquiring Verdugo, but are they going to end up with an outfielder as good as Alex Verdugo? Doesn't feel like it. The, the other thing is that David Stern said, which is, to me, it's, it's news, even if we speculated he was going to go this route anyway, and we certainly did, and that is they're not adding a third baseman. That third base is coming in-house from either Ronnie Mauricio, Brett Beatty, and Mark Vientos. Now, Pete, you can't be mad at that because when we did our third base deep dive, we ultimately came to that verdict, did we not? That, hey, we looked at the free agents, we looked at the trade candidates, outside of something crazy like Nolan Arenado, who I don't think is available, so you kind of throw it away. Alex Bregman was certainly a name brought up. It sounds like he may be available, but I remain skeptical of it. Most of the options were underwhelming, and we agreed. Let's just see what we got from Beatty, Vientos, and Mauricio. No, nah, it's the most responsible move that the Mets have at third base is to, to look within. Not not for nothing, but they do have, I wouldn't say plenty of great options, but they do have plenty of options. And what listen, you got Joey Wendell now, who I'm not saying he's going to be sitting there playing every day either. Like That's not what you want, but... Even if he gets two or three starts a week at third base, just for defensive purposes, between him, Mauricio, Beatty, Vientos, there's plenty of options to go through. Yeah, and I think we need to see what they are. You know, I think we really need to find out like more about Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio and to a degree Mark Vientos because while Beatty had a terrible year last year, I think we all acknowledge that, the, the book isn't closed on him. So I kind of agree with let these guys compete as much as I don't love spring training competitions as necessarily the best indicator, especially after what we saw last year. I am still of a believer where we need to see what we have with these three guys. So I'm not against it. I'm, I'm totally for it. Now, it's easier to deal with a third base competition of unknowns if you give yourself more of a stalwart in left field or you give yourself more depth in the outfield because of Marte getting hurt all the time, or you give yourself a more comfortable DH option. Because you could have made the argument at DH, well, DH is the leftovers. DH is, you know, maybe it's Brett Beatty who doesn't win the third base job. Maybe it's just guys getting off days. Maybe a lot of it is DJ Stewart. I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Because I think you need a real major league bat at DH. You know, maybe it's Francisco Alvarez getting more day offs than maybe we would like. They have to add a bat. And look, as ideal as that bat would be, if it's Shohei Otani, <laughs> which I'm losing confidence in by the day. On the last Rico, I tried to give ourselves some confidence that you never know. Maybe the Mets could swoop it at the last second 
Uh, every day that goes by, I don't feel great about that. Just put us out of our misery, Shohei. Sign with the Blue Jays. Sign with the Dodgers. Sign wherever and just get it over with. Because then the fantasy of Otani coming to the Mets can just go away. Am I wrong in reading that the fact that uh, Dave Roberts was so vocal about Otani that maybe they're not getting him at all? Well, (laughs) it was because of the report from a few weeks ago that Otani wanted to keep his free agency so private that if anything leaked out, he would hold it against the team. So I think we have all jumped to the conclusion that since Dave Roberts was so open about meeting with Otani at the winter meetings, maybe that either A, they're going to hold it against them, or B, he already knows they're out of it. There was a report, John Heyman published it in the New York Post, and it sort of rubbed me the wrong way, and that was the idea that Otani, quote, can't envision himself playing in New York. I'm not telling you that Otani wants to come to New York. I'm not telling you that Otani doesn't feel that way about not picturing himself in New York. But one thing I like to do whenever stories like this come out is you read the the small print, the part that talks about who the sources are. Sometimes it's two sources with direct knowledge of the situation, things like that. And I feel better about those. Oh, okay. So it's multiple people with direct knowledge of the situation. John Heyman's source in this article was someone in the clubhouse. That's the way it was worded. Somebody in the clubhouse. I mean, I don't. Who the hell is that? One person in the clubhouse. Is that what we're going on right now? Clubhouse source was the way he phrased it. A clubhouse source could be the freaking water boy. A clubhouse source could be the bat boy. I don't know. I'm not telling you that Otani secretly loves New York. It certainly doesn't feel that way. It feels like the Mets and the Yankees are just not even involved in this because Otani doesn't want to come to New York. But when I read that article, I went deep and I saw clubhouse source. I mean, that is so innocuous. It could be anybody. Now, it could be somebody that really knows. I admit that. But it's somebody in the clubhouse who's a source. So it's not that I'm not buying it. It's that I remain very, very skeptical of it. I I do hope that reasonably soon we could just be put out of our misery. Quick question, though, for you, Pete, because I have an answer to this. If it's not the Mets, if the Mets are not swooping in and signing Shohei Otani, who do you want to see get him? I'd like him to stay with the Angels. Really? Yes. Because they're just not, they're a non-threat? Oh, yeah, they're terrible. So it'd be, not, it, listen, if he doesn't choose us, at least let him suffer with someone that's never going to win anything. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I think that's a fair answer. You know what my answer is? I'm going to say the Giants, the Toronto Blue Jays. Mm. That would be my choice. Obviously, I don't want him in the National League. I think he's a great player, so I wouldn't want to deal with him six times a year or potentially in the postseason. So no to the Giants, no to the Dodgers, but yes to the Toronto Blue Jays because, A, American League East kind of tortured the Yankees potentially. And then B, just as a baseball fan, very selfishly, I'll just see more of him. I'll see more of him because he plays in the Eastern time zone. You know, as late as I stay up watching baseball, it's kind of tough when games start after 10 o'clock. So I'm hoping that if it's not the Mets swooping in, shocking the world, that it ends up being the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, the other thing I noticed from David Stearns, third base is a competition. So the opening day third baseman will either be Beatty, Mauricio, or Vientos. And by the way, Ronnie Mauricio is playing third base in winter ball. And the other day had a three-hit, three-error game. So he pulled off the big one. The three-error, three-hit game from Ronnie Mauricio. You know what? That's fine. Just go out there and play third base every day. That, that's really all that matters. I don't care what your defense looks like. Get the experience, even if it's at winter ball. And when you come to spring training, let's see what you got. Because right now, Ronnie Mauricio, and I think that's the guy most Met fans are highest on. He was the last guy we saw get called up. He gave you some flashes in September. Ronnie Mauricio's kind of roadmap to playing, and this wasn't necessarily the only road four weeks ago when we were talking about this. Maybe he plays second base and you move McNeil to the outfield. Maybe he's the DH. Maybe he's this. Maybe this is that. It certainly sounds like his road is third base, and that's it. Because the other thing David Stern said is he envisions Jeff McNeil being the everyday second baseman and not shifting him a lot to the outfield. Look, Ronnie Mauricio playing second base and Jeff McNeil going to the outfield in a lot of ways could solve some issues. It solves the outfield issue. If you pencil, and I know you can't do it in pen because Mauricio's got to prove things, but if you move Jeff McNeil to the outfield, all of a sudden, I don't think the need for adding an everyday outfielder is there. Maybe the need is for adding a fourth outfielder, which I'm, I'd be on board for, but if you've got a McNeil, Nimmo, Marte outfield, you can live with that, but that means Mauricio's your second baseman, and who's your third baseman? No, I don't think they're going to trust both Mauricio and Beatty or Mauricio and Vientos right out the gate to be everyday players. But David Stern seems committed to Jeff McNeil at second base. And if Jeff McNeil is at second base, Ronnie Mauricio is not at second base, and they're not moving Ronnie Mauricio to the outfield, that makes it seem like third base is his way to play. DH, sure. But I think they're going to add a bat too there. I think you almost have to. So if we learned anything from David Stearns over the first few days, they're going to add an outfielder. Third base is an internal battle between the three guys I mentioned. For now, obviously, they've got other guys coming up, uh, but it won't be at the start of the season. Jet Williams isn't a 
part of this at the start of the season. Luis Angel Acuna is not a part of this at the start of the season. I think those are discussions for potentially in the second half, especially depending on the seasons that they have. And we know that Jeff McNeil is going to be the second baseman. As far as adding pitching is concerned, again, open-ended. He he said we need to add, going into the offseason, multiple starting pitchers. To me, that number is three. And you could argue four, especially if they're going to have a six-man rotation. That's why when the Mets were connected to Eric Fetty over the last couple of days, and ultimately Fetty decided to sign with the Chicago White Sox on a two-year, $14 million deal, I know that when you saw Fetty's name mentioned, there was probably a lot of Mets fans thinking, oh, Eric Fetty, what is this? Eric Fetty. And look, I'm certainly not doing gymnastics over Eric Fetty. Eric Fetty is what he is. He's a guy the Mets always beat the ass of. It's a guy with a five and a half ERA, and it's a guy who last year went to the KBO and looked like Sandy Koufax. That doesn't mean he's going to come back. He's going to be Miles Michaelis, and all of a sudden he's going to be great in America. But if they had signed Eric Fetty, which they didn't, but if they had signed Eric Fetty, here's exactly what I would have said to Pete. I would have said, I envision him as the sixth, seventh swing starter. That the Mets are going to need a six-man rotation if they're lucky enough to get Yamamoto. They very well could go six-man rotation either way, but I think it's certainly more likely if they win the services of Yoshinabu Yamamoto. And that Eric Fetty as a sixth guy or seventh guy, because you need pitching depth, is fine. That's a fine flyer to take on a guy coming off a great season in the KBO. But if you're signing Eric Fetty to be your fourth starter or your third starter, no, I'm not going to celebrate that. That's why everything about this offseason is context. Michael Taylor, I was talking about him earlier. It's the same thing. If the Mets sign Michael Taylor and he's the fourth outfielder, He's a fine fourth outfielder. I don't have an issue with Michael Taylor as a fourth outfielder. But if Michael Taylor's playing four days a week with Nimmo shifting over to left field, not great. Then I'd have a problem with it. Well, this is why I said the last podcast, too. There is major concern. Maybe not major concern. Maybe that's a bad term. But there is some concern about the, the names that the Mets have been linked to. They all feel like these you know, role players, but there's no bit, I don't want to, let's take away the word splash, but there's no one of impact that the Mets are really connected to. And there's not many impact players available. So there's a potential that, yeah, Michael Taylor, we bring in as maybe like a fourth outfielder, but we're going to be stuck with him playing in everyday position because there's just not enough people around. You're talking about position players specifically in this regard? That slash the pitching too. I mean, again, you're talking yeah. about if 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 Fetty was here and they don't get Yamamoto and they don't get if they don't make a trade for you know or they, they miss out on Montgomery and Rodriguez. I mean, they, they, you're talking about these are the guys that are filling your rotation. Yeah. So two separate things as far as the offense is concerned, especially in the outfield, I do agree with you. It, there isn't impact bats in the outfield. There are capable everyday major league players that you can add. And that's really all I'm looking to add. I think that some of us as Met fans have maybe different visions of what they need to do or what we expect them to do. I'm certainly not against adding superstar players. Don't get me wrong, but I never went into this offseason other than the dream of Otani thinking there was really any superstar per se that they were going to add. Yamamoto put him to the side. I guess he's a superstar. We just haven't really seen him. 
I want good baseball players, just good, solid major leaguers, you know? And in the outfield, there's a lot of Verdugo-like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's an upgrade. Yeah, it's a major leaguer. But no, it's not going to get your nipples all, you know, hard. It's not going to, you know, make you go nuts. I think there's more flexibility when it comes to DH. I mentioned this guy's name a while ago. But if they go out and sign Reese Hoskins and said, you know what, Reese, here's a one-year deal, mash. Just mash in this one-year deal. You're going to play mostly DH. Occasionally, you'll play first base for a Pete Alonso off day. That is a, I don't want to call that an impact bat. I guess that's how you define it. But that's a bat that on paper can improve this lineup. I mean, we just witnessed Daniel Vogel back at DH all year last year. You know, a guy like a Reese Hoskins on a one-year deal is not bad. It's not a superstar. But I don't think, at least for me, my bar is superstar. I always thought going into this offseason, you have Otani and you have Yamamoto. And outside of that, there was really no superstar. A, I wanted the Mets to target, or B, they were realistically going to target. The Otani thing, yeah, it, it doesn't look as if he has any interest in coming here. Wouldn't stop me from making a big offer if I'm Steve Cohen, by the way, but it certainly doesn't sound positive. And look, we know the deal with Yamamoto. The Mets want him. Everybody wants him. The Mets should make the biggest offer. I hope they make the biggest offer. And then ultimately, you hope he takes the biggest offer. If he takes less money to go to the Yankees or less money to go to the Giants, it'll suck, but just make the biggest offer. That's the way I view that. Now, here's where I would disagree about the pitching. Yamamoto is the biggest reward guy because he's the potential ace. And I'd agree with you. There's no one else out there in free agency. And I am more of a free agent guy than I am trade for somebody, as I've made very, very clear. I think the grouping of guys that the Mets have interest in, or even I'd have interest in, all kind of fit that middle of the rotation road. So that could be disappointing to many, but if you added two more reliable arms that are middle of the rotation guys, and I used last time to you Jordan Montgomery and Eduardo Rodriguez, I said they improved their rotation. They went out, maybe it wasn't the sexiest thing in the world, but if they walk away with three starters and it's Montgomery, Rodriguez, and Severino, I'm not complaining about it, especially if they made their best effort to get Yamamoto. Now, the Mets have been connected with another guy that we've talked a little bit about. I'm curious to get your take on it. I'll give you my take on it, and that's Lucas Giolito. John Paul Morosi recently tweeted that there are five teams interested in Lucas Giolito, and the Mets are one of them. Uh, you want to go first? Your thoughts on Lucas Giolito as a target? Yeah, sure. I mean, listen, I going into last year, he was a name I think we both spoke about that maybe could be a trade deadline acquisition or somebody that could be uh, a potential upgrade. He had such a bad year last year, if I'm correct, or second half. I remember it just, it just wasn't good. His and, last 12 starts after he was traded and claimed on waivers by Cleveland, were they weren't bad. That would be too nice. They were atrocious. They were an right. atrocity of awfulness. Right. So that concerns me. So now you're going to, if you brought in Giolito, if your rotation was one of Montgomery Rodriguez, Giolito, uh, Sanga, Severino, and Quintana, there's too many question marks. That And that that's my issue is you need more stability. So I, I know he might give you innings, but they might not be good innings. Yeah, and that, that, look, the last thing you said is his strength, and it shouldn't be ignored, and that's the fact that of anyone out there, 
he has probably given you the longest track record of taking the baseball every five days. And and there's there's something to that. You know, I, earlier in the offseason, I pointed out that Kyle Gibson was a guy I was intrigued by, and I got attacked by some Mets fans saying, look at his numbers, he stinks. And my retort was, yeah, I'm not arguing that he isn't great, but he's reliable. And I know there's no way to really calculate this. There's no stat that calculates this. But if you've got a guy giving you 180 innings, even if that 188 inning, 180 innings leads to a four and a half ERA, is that more valuable than a guy who's going to give you 60 innings less with an ERA that's a half a run less? Because when that guy is not pitching or when that guy leaves a game early, those 60 innings need to be replaced. And if those 60 innings are being replaced by really bad, crappy starting pitching, and so if you combine those numbers, and all of a sudden it's not a 4-5 ERA, it's a 4-8 ERA, what would you rather have? And then there's the other thing that you can't calculate. By having to replace somebody in your rotation a lot because they're not reliable, you may be taking guys from the minor leagues to pitch who aren't giving you a lot of innings, and now you're forcing your bullpen to pitch a lot more. And so there's there's no way, even with all these new age stats, to calculate it. But you hear what I'm saying. Like, there's a value to innings that's not as simple as, but Lucas Giolito had a 480 RA last year. Like, I get it. Of course, he had a four. He did not have a good year last year. He didn't have a good year the year before that. Like, I, I get all that. But he also took the baseball every five days. And if you don't take the baseball every five days, there's a trickle down that really hurts your team. Oh, no, that was what happened last year, why the, the Mets bullpen was just shot right away. We couldn't get into the fourth and fifth inning with a lot of these pitchers. Yeah. You know, because Verlander wasn't there. Scherzer wasn't effective. Quintana couldn't pitch. It was disgusting. So, yeah, you're going to or, or, you know, abuse your bullpen from the get-go. But, again, you're right. It, it really comes down to what's the most effective way to get nine innings worth of, uh, you know, solid pitching. It, I'd still prefer to get uh, some some form of ace. That would be nice. Well, the, tell me if you disagree. Outside of Yamamoto, who we all believe is the potential ace, there's not an ace out there. There just isn't. there. And I think the guy, and it's crazy to say this because he's the oldest of the three. We just mentioned Lucas Giolito, who right now is 29 years old, and he'll turn 30 in the middle of July. So this is his 29-30 season. Between Lucas Giolito and Eduardo Rodriguez, another guy who the Mets have been linked to, Eduardo Rodriguez is 30, but he's going to be 31 first week of the season. And then you've got Jordan Montgomery, who's also 31. Jordan Montgomery feels a lot younger than he actually is. I don't know why. <laughs> but he, like, if I asked you how old he is, I don't know if you would have guessed he's going to be 31 for opening day. Well, no, he's only pitched, like, am I wrong to say he's pitched four seasons? Is that is that? Well, not really. Here's the deal with Jordan Montgomery. He got called up with the Yankees in 2017 and pitched a full season. 2018 and 2019 were just completely thrown out because he needed Tommy John surgery. So those two years get thrown out. He comes back in 2020 during the pandemic, pitches in coming back from Tommy John surgery, limited amount of time because it's the pandemic, pitches to a five ERA. Since that moment, so now you're talking about the 21 season, the 22 season, and the 23 season, 
Jordan Montgomery takes the baseball every five days. He pulls a Giolito, if you will. And here's what you'll notice with him. 2021 with the Yankees makes 30 starts, limited innings, 3.8 ERA. Okay, not bad. Improvement. 2022, he puts up virtually the same numbers in his first 21 starts and then shockingly gets traded to the Cardinals, which I think we all remember in New York for Harrison Bader. He goes to the Cardinals, and since the moment he got traded away, and I'm not saying this is an anti-Yankee thing, it could just be more time removed from Tommy John, which is a big deal, ask Zach Wheeler. Like, there is something to that. But since he got traded to St. Louis in the latter half of 2022, the guy's been amazing. Like, I'll give you the numbers. Like, you just heard what I said. High three ERA, pitching for the Yankees. It's blah. It's back of the rotation stuff. He goes to St. Louis, makes 11 starts in 2022, a 3-1-1 ERA, far and away lowest of his career. First half in St. Louis this past year, 21 starts, 3-4 ERA. Not bad. He goes to Texas and now becomes a star. 11 starts in Texas, 2.79 ERA. And then we recall what he did in the postseason, in which he had a lot of really good moments. So he feels, even at age 31, like a guy on the rise. Like he's a guy who really, since the latter part of 2022, so for the last year and a half, is a guy that's putting it all together. And because he's a lefty, and we've seen that before from lefties in the past, I think Montgomery, despite being the oldest of the three guys we just talked about, I almost feel like there's more to him getting better than Giolito and Rodriguez. That's how I would view Montgomery moving forward, which is why of those three guys, I'd probably put him top on my list of just those uh-huh. three. Yeah, no, I could see that. Rodriguez is too inconsistent. I know that he's had some some rough seasons. And again, I think there's some other issues off the field too that he's just not, you know, I don't know if I want someone that's going to be having to take a leave of absence, you know, for, for a month. And I, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, like, it's too valuable. You you need these guys to pitch. And, you know, again, like you said, Rodriguez pitched for, uh, 26 games last year. But if you can get a guy who's going to pitch every 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 fifth day, it's it's important. And you're right, Montgomery, look at his numbers. Besides that, besides that one year, five-year right, he's been pretty freaking dominant. And he's getting better. It feels like he's an ascending player. They're, the Mets have now also been linked to Blake Snell. And I think a part of why I'm so concerned about Blake Snell, and just to put him in the same pool here, he just turned 31 years old as well. So same age as Jordan Montgomery, a lefty, and clearly more established in terms of the fact the guy's won two Cy Youngs. And I don't want to minimize the fact he's won two Cy Youngs. But he feels the opposite. And I know that's crazy because he just won the Cy Young. I don't feel like you would be getting the best out of Blake Snell. And a lot of it is a bias towards the fact that he walks as everybody. There is definitely a bias towards that. But I want to be fair. Ian Nolan was one of the many people that emailed us this week, and he wanted to make a defense of Blake Snell. So I want to give him that shot to do that. Maybe it'll open our eyes. And to anyone out there who's anti-Blake Snell, we give him a fair shot. So here's what Ian wrote. Gentlemen, I wanted to shoot off an email to counterpoint the anti-Blake Snell movement that you and I, to be honest, have been a part of this offseason. In a world where the Mets miss out on Yamamoto, 
I think Blake Snell should actually be considered a fallback option for us. Let me preface this by saying I do not want or I do not think Blake Snell is an ace long term, but I do think if the market comes back a bit, he's a great option to slot next to Senga for the next six years. Why? Number one, he's still 30 years old, meaning a six-year deal could work for us at ages 31 to 36, which is also in the Mets' win window. His baseball savant page tells you he didn't get lucky this year. He essentially led baseball in run value, off-speed value, whip percentage, K percentage. Even his exit velos and hard hit rates were excellent. Number three, he's an off-speed and breaking pitch monster. His curveball and the highest whiff rate in the league. His non-fastballs are unhittable. It seems that a pitcher who's breaking stuff first and not just the thrower will age better than a Syndergaard type. Number four, after he struggled out of the gate in 2023, he made adjustments and was dominant, pitching to a 2.25 ERA and a ridiculous 182 ERA+. plus. Yes, the walks are an issue, but he also punched out 234 batters to go along with his league-worst 99 free passes, so he can absolutely limit damage. Finally, his career 127 ERA plus over 1K per innings compared to Aaron Nola, who's 113 plus. Yes, durability is an issue, but I think his upside is quite higher than Aaron Nola's. If Aaron Nola gets seven years 172, it seems at least possible Snell signs for more like six years and 150 given his durability history. That's the same AAV as NOLA, minus a year. In today's pitching market, is it that wild to pay a 31-year-old two-time Cy Young winner coming off a monster season $150 million? It doesn't seem like it to me. Again, I'm not in love with Snell, but I also think there's too much slander going on with his name, and if he signed with the Mets, I'm confident he'd be pretty damn good addition, as long as you understand there will be a range in his year-over-year performance. Thank you for hearing my thoughts. So, look, I mean, there's a lot of good points about his success and how he's had his success. He gets a ton of swing and misses. He strikes the world out. Look, of course he did that. When you're walking 99 guys in a season, you're going to have to make it up with something. I just wonder, at 31, 32, 33, when he hasn't even been reliable to this point when he was in his 20s, Like he was missing time, maybe not months at a time, but even 2022, he missed eight starts. That's significant. And for a guy that doesn't go deep into games, he's a five-inning pitcher. What he was able to pull off this past year was he was a five-inning pitcher, essentially, that won the Cy Young. More like a six-inning pitcher. I'm being a little nitpicky, if you will, but five and two-thirds. And a part of that is he throws a million pitches. A part of that is after five innings, he's at a buck oh five. He's at a buck ten. So he's already proven in his 20s that as dominant as he can be, and you're right, he's had two dominant seasons in which he's won the Cy Young, but in both years, he threw 180 innings. Think about that. And I know it's 2024, we have to get over it. That's the way pitchers are. But I also don't have the stomach to give that kind of contract. You want to tell me how fair it is compared to Aranola? I'm also thinking about next year, the year after, and the year after that, and the other pitchers that may become available. That's why I'd almost rather kick the can down the road and go short-term and maybe buy Corbin Burns next year than giving Blake Snell seven years. Now, if the Mets sign Blake Snell, I think that my reaction would be, okay, I don't love it. 
hopefully he's dominant. I mean, I don't know if I'd scream and yell about it because I get it. He is coming off a Cy Young last year, but I would be very nervous about giving Blake Snell a contract like that. It, it's it screams, uh, unfortunately, desperation that you think you have to go and get a quote unquote Cy Young winner. Like I look at him right now and I see David Price written all over him. Like when he went to the, the Dodgers and the Red Sox, like he just the tail end was just not good for David Price. You look at some other pitchers too. Just like Carlos Rodon, for example, with the Yankees, his health is more of an issue. But he was also just playing out terrible. I could see him completely falling off at least for one year, and that one year would be too much of a fall off with this current regime right now, with so much pressure on him to to mess up with that type of move. I also think the crowd, the the Met fans, will turn on him. We will turn on him before anyone else. I think a part of it is the two Cy Youngs. A part of it maybe just be his personality. Uh, I think that just has a bad contract written all over it. But I do appreciate Ian kind of giving us the other side of it. I do. The Mets lost the lottery. The Mets did not jump up in the lottery. We're like the Knicks. We went backwards, and because we went backwards, we dropped back ten slots. It is what it is. I think we'd all agree that spending a lot of money in free agency and spending a lot of money to have a high payroll, it's worth the negative of going back 10 slots in the MLB draft. I was so confused watching it. And granted, I was watching it while at a commercial break on the show with Tiki. And Tiki was like, what are you watching? And I said, oh, I'm watching the MLB lottery. And as I'm watching it, Because I'm so used to the NBA lottery, they've got everybody's logo and where they finished in the standings, and then they start showing us who's picking 18, 17, 16. And you don't see the Yankees. And they're not X'd out as a team that's off. And they keep going, and I'm like, my God, I think the Yankees won the lottery. And then we get to the Mets slot, where they were at seven, and their name isn't there. And now I'm thinking to myself, holy crap. Did the Mets and the Yankees jump up? And then I had a sick feeling in my stomach. I said, wait a second. These schmucks probably dropped the Mets and Yankees back to 10 slots, which is the graphic they're not showing because they're only showing picks 18 through one. And then as the lottery wraps up and the Cleveland Guardians get the number one overall pick, I realized that's exactly what happened. So MLB needs to clean up their act. Because that was, ve- and I wasn't the only one. I was talking to a few friends of mine who were like, I thought we won the, I thought we won the lottery. <laughs> I didn't see our team mentioned anywhere. What's going on? So a little disappointing. We had spent some time during the season as the season was crappy and crapping out, thinking maybe they're better off losing. And the truth is, even if they did lose more games, even if they finished in the bottom six or five, they were still going to fall a few slots back in the lottery. Let's be honest, especially with Cleveland jumping so many teams. So it is what it is. The Mets are picking, I guess it's 19th in this draft. They also signed Jose Iglesias to a minor league contract. I think if this was a year and a half ago, I'd be a little bit more excited. Jose was not in the major leagues last year. Now, you know his deal. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't walk. Hits for like a 270, 280 average, except that one year he had 300. And I think made the all-star team. And he's an excellent glove that you could stick anywhere in the infield. But I think between the versatility that Mauricio has, Zach Short, another guy they brought in, Joey Wendell, who they signed to a major league deal, if I had to guess right now, Iglesias ain't making the team. 
He's going to end up in AAA. He's going to opt out after a few weeks. He's going to try to get another job. I don't know if we ever see Jose Iglesias in the major leagues. Just because of what the Mets have right now. Obviously, injuries could happen and things could change. But if I had to guess, I don't think we ever see Jose Iglesias. And for my fellow Mets fans, I'll leave you with this. The Yankees are going to get Juan Soto. And I know that may be tough to hear. And I know that's going to be obnoxious. And it's going to be annoying because maybe you have friends who are Yankee fans. And they're going to be all excited. And you don't like when they're excited. And they should be excited. Juan Soto's a tremendous player. But remember this. Juan Soto is renting in the Bronx. He will be buying in Queens. That's my confidence. (laughs) And I know that's tough to deal with for the next year as Soto becomes a fan favorite potentially at Yankee Stadium amongst Yankee fans. Until they complain, he tries to walk too much. And that's all he's thinking about. But it's a rental. He's going to get the free agency. And if, God forbid, the Mets strike out on their intended targets in this offseason, you bet your ass they're going to go balls to the wall to get Juan Soto one year from now. You can email the pod, the Rico B at gmail.com, the Rico B at gmail.com. We will dedicate our next episode in just a day or two to wrapping up the winter meetings and reading all of your emails. So any questions you have or thoughts you have, send it in. We'll definitely devote most of our winter meetings recap episode to your emails, the Rico B at gmail.com, the Rico B at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening and downloading a yet another edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 